Welcome to the Unhurried Living Podcast. My name is Alan Fadling, and I invite you to listen to leadership conversations that will help you to develop healthy rhythms of rest and work and to live fuller in friendship with God. I hope this podcast will help you to overcome hurry and make time for what matters most. And now, enjoy today's episode. Hey friends, welcome to episode 195 of the podcast. My name's Alan, and I'm so glad you've joined me here. I'm hopeful that our time together will help you rediscover the genius of Jesus' unhurried way of life and leadership. Today, I'm sharing a great conversation I had recently with my friends, Daryl Warner and Matt Fogel, about the issue of insecurity and identity. I spoke a lot about this in An Unhurried Leader because doing our work to prove our worth is a very common temptation for leaders. It can be surprising just how often insecurity is driving us to frenetic activity. Too often we imagine that our value or our worth is hanging in the balance of how well we perform or who we impress. But what if our value has already been decided in our favor? What if our identity is a gift we've already received rather than a paycheck we still have to keep earning? So if you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. If you find these episodes helpful, would you please follow, rate, and review? And be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Each week, we're having leadership conversations that help us lead better in the spirit of Jesus' unhurried way. Sometimes I'm talking with fellow authors, and sometimes, like today, I'm talking with leaders just like you who are learning to live and lead at the fruitful pace of grace and peace. So let's dive into my conversation with these leaders just like you on the theme of our insecurity and identity as leaders. Well, on today's Unhurried Living podcast, I'm pleased to have my friends Daryl Warner and Matt Fogel to join me for uh, today's conversation. Guys, how are you doing? Doing great. Good to be here. Good. Thanks, Alan. Man, it's a treat to spend some time with you guys. I, I thought, especially since this is the first time we're having an episode for the podcast, I'd love to just have both of you share a little bit about how our paths crossed, you know, kind of the when and the where and the how of it. Uh, Daryl, would you do that? Sure, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about that this morning, and Alan, I can't believe that we met in the fall of 91. September of 91. So we're, talking, couple, we're bumping 30 couple, years. Couple weeks, we are 30 year long <laughs> friendship. Oh, my I can't goodness. believe it. <laughs> Man, you're making me feel old is all I can say. I don't know how that's possible when we're both 25. So mm, I, <laughs> yes, it involves some sort of time warp or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but Alan, you and I met in the fall of 91 at a, a class of my second year of seminary at Fuller. Yeah. And it was a college and career leadership course. And that was the first time that I was exposed to this whole idea of the inner journey, solitude, silence, and prayer. I mean, I was your typical youth pastor running at Mach 3, running all <laughs> kinds of programs. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But I liked you. <laughs> and, it's, and it was intriguing. And so I've stuck around for 30 years to glean from you and what God's doing. But it's been it's been a phenomenal journey. 
So oh, thanks for having me on. Yep. Well, absolutely, Daryl. It's been a, and it's been a gift for me to have those 30 years of our past crossing and sharing experiences and sharing stories with each other. Matt, how about you? Yeah. So very similar. I was a youth pastor. Uh, wasn't 30 years ago, probably more like six years ago. Uh, I'm 36. So you guys met when I was six <laughs> years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I took our youth ministry team uh, to Wichita, Kansas, to the Apprentice Gathering. That's where I met you and Jim. And also very curious about the book that had just come out, Unhurried Life, and what that could look like inside of a large church youth ministry. Is that even possible to take up Jesus's invitation to rest and work from a place of rest? So we began our friendship there. And since then, we've been leading retreats together and been able to hang out in numerous occasions in various places. So honored to be a part of this, brother. Man, me too. I, and I think I said in, in an earlier episode, one of the things I'm hopeful for, as I think of these, I, we're kind of calling these leadership roundtables. Maybe that's an old title for it. I don't know. But the idea is, rather than um, just having you know authors on where I get a chance to talk with them about their books, I want just normal everyday conversations, you know, because all of us in the end are normal everyday people. You know, none of us are the personas that, you know, get yeah. put out there on social media or get put out there in marketing and publicity. In the end, we're just people and we're having real live experiences. And so the title of this episode, in the end, I had about two or three different prospects or ideas for it. But in the end, I decided to title it Insecurity and our hurried souls. And in that, I just think uh, one of the big ideas that's been so important for me is the idea that my sense of identity, which is to say my sense of worth, my sense of value, my, my sense of meaning in this world is not a thing I have to earn like a paycheck. It's really something I need to embrace like a gift. And maybe just in a general way, I wonder if either one of you could just reflect on what your journey with that dynamic of identity and sometimes how that the, the other side of it in, in insecurity uh, can surface. Either you be willing to step into that one? Sure, I'll, I'll start off. You know, for me, yeah. it, it, was, it was a hard concept to grasp, this whole idea of grace. Uh, I'm loved unconditionally. I came to faith late in life in college, and my pursuit prior to, to coming to know Jesus was all about business and achievement and sales. And I grew up in a family that valued, you know, the Protestant work ethic. You work hard, you succeed, and that's that's the way you you move forward in life. And so when I came to faith and I felt like I was going into ministry instead of business. I still carried on those same principles in my mind about you need to work hard, you need to be productive, you need to burn the candle at both ends. And, and a lot of that was rooted not only in my history for my family, but also my own insecurities of coming to faith late in life. Mm. And here I am working with pastors who had these ideas that, you know, they came to faith at five years old and they grew up in the church and they knew every song. And I felt insecure in the sense that I didn't know those songs. I didn't have those experiences. My, my experiences were completely of the world. And so I was constantly trying to prove my holiness or my worth 
in my positions that I took as a youth pastor, I tried to be the best I could, which isn't bad. Mm-hmm. But I was running. I was scared that people were going to find out that I really didn't know what I didn't know. And, and so, and yeah. so for me, so for me, uh, you know, it, I carry that that baggage with me. And when I, so it was a hard transition for me to realize that I am unconditionally loved by God. Period. It's not what I do. It's not what I achieve, but just who I am. Yeah, isn't that huge? I mean, yeah, that's. At one level, you feel like, I think you're supposed to learn that in Sunday school. Of course, you weren't in Sunday school to learn it, yeah, so that was part of the problem. <laughs> but it's like, that's that that sounds to my ear like that's supposed to be some beginner lesson, right? Even if you came yeah. to Christ as a college student, you ought to figure that in the first year or two and be all set yeah. with it. But it seems like the hardest thing for us to learn, and the strange thing, is that as leaders, it seems oddly even harder mm-hmm. to learn. Like, we're set up not to operate on that basis. Correct. And I found coming out of the sales background that being a youth pastor was no difference. You know, in the sales world, I'd talk about numbers of what I was achieving every month. Well, when I got together with my youth pastor buddies, it was like, well, how many, how many kids are coming to your group? You know, how many, how many retreats are you speaking at? So it was still a numbers game. It was like trying to, what up you? Well, I'm going to youth pastor conference. I'm speaking here. It was no different. So, Yeah. Well, Matt, as you listen to that and you think of your own journey, how does that intersect with you? Yeah, for some reason, I, I'm thinking about the fact that I was pretty insecure before I came to know Jesus. And I, I used to think that I just didn't like speaking in front of people. But I think that's actually rooted. My embarrassment is rooted in that I'm not good enough. And so when I get up there, will I have anything to say? So I remember uh, the first speech I ever gave in junior high. Uh, I cried and I (laughs) left the front of the class and the teacher just patted me on the back and said, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And and it wasn't because I was a horrible speaker it's because I was so insecure of what I was doing uh, because I was so performance based. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to nail it. And very similar to what Daryl just said, when I became a youth pastor, remember the first time I ever gave a sermon to a large group, uh, the guy that was supposed to be encouraging me sent me on stage with this message. He said, Hey, don't blow this. And then he sent me on stage to preach the message. <laughs> what a gift of grace that was. <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> so yeah, in ministry, whatever you write, whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's an article or you're speaking or you're leading some event, everything is measured exactly as Daryl said in the numbers game, how many people not only attended, but how many people loved you because of that. Correct. And you start to base your value on what you can do and how well you can perform rather than what God has to say about it. Well, it just strikes me. The, the great trap in all of that uh, is when I externalize my identity, I'm just powerless over it. Mm-hmm. Like, I can work all day long, but I really don't have as much power as I think over the statistics game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't make 500 right. people come to a thing that I've planned. I mean, and if I desperately need that many to come to feel good about myself, my identity is pretty tenuous. Yes. Yeah. Well, so yes, it, it was interesting this morning in my, uh, in my reading, I happened upon the last chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 16. It's one of the chapters you're tempted to kind of run past because it's a long list of a bunch of names of people you don't know. And so, you know, you're trying to find some way to connect. 
But here's what I heard when I read it this morning. How many different times Paul talks about somebody and he calls them uh, my fellow worker, like my co-worker in Christ. I want to commend these two women. They worked very hard in the Lord. That was a phrase that killed me this morning. They worked very hard in the Lord. See, that's the connection that I think a lot of leaders struggle to make. They don't know what it looks and feels like to work hard, not in insecurity or in anxiety or mm -hmm. in profound awareness of what everyone else thinks, but to work hard, like with all your heart, with all your muscle, with all your creativity, but to do so from a place of simple, confident rootedness in God. Can you tell me, guys, about ways in which you've had? tastes of that kind of experience in your own working? Uh, there was a very tangible moment for me, uh, probably pretty typical to a lot of people in full-time ministry, but there was an altar call in the early 2000s where they said, does anybody want to go into ministry? And I went forward and knelt down with other teenagers in the room. And there was this elderly couple. I didn't grow up in a home, uh, a Christian home. And so my parents weren't there with me. It was just this elderly couple. And I, without me knowing, they followed me up to the front. And as soon as I knelt down, they placed their hands on me. And as the guy prayed over me, they prayed over me. And then they continued to walk with me for years after hmm. that moment. It wasn't a passing, hey, we bless you in this. There was there was a rootedness that they were with me. And, and for me, in those early formative years, that couple was really a tangible expression of the body of Christ for me, expressing his love and rootedness and confidence in me through their voices, through their actions. And I think often for me, when I feel confident, it's because of the community around me. Uh, mm. The security that I find is usually even more deeply rooted by the voices and presence of people, yeah. not just my own rhythms. So that's huge because it's there's such a difference between my looking to the crowd to say something good that will make me feel better or confident or whatever. There's a difference between that and that voice of reminding, like yeah. a seasoned couple you just described. They weren't speaking empty words. They weren't, you know, puffing you up or telling you not to blow it. <laughs> you know, they were just reminding you a simple, substantial, reliable reality. And, and I think that's, that's been important for me too. I've needed often someone who was a step or two down the road from me that uh, could remind me of the stuff that I already know. Yeah. Thoughts you know, that? I think it, yeah, no, I think it's really critical thinking about uh, Matt, what you're sharing about the voices that we listen to, uh, you know, growing up, I, that the, the voices were of, of production and being popular and in college, you know, I was popular in my fraternity and th that was the predominant narrative I was listening to. And what, what drew me into this whole idea was the fact that I met this, uh, a staff worker for one of the campus ministries and he came alongside me like you, Matt, right? Somebody who had a different perspective and a different voice. And I was so intrigued that here was a, uh, a, a man that I respected that loved God and wanted to spend time with me. And I can remember we met almost daily for coffee at the student union. 
And it didn't matter what I said or what condition I showed up in, but there was something attractive about that community of a of, of believer who followed Jesus that would speak truth into my life. And it was a different narrative than what I was getting other places. And I was drawn to that. But I can remember, I still tell the story. I think we probably met almost on a daily basis. I probably wasn't every day, but for over a year. And it didn't matter. Again, it was just that acceptance and that love that he gave me helped change my perspective, my heart. And that's what drew me into uh, the life I have now. Because my whole motto is, if I can be like Andy was for me to somebody else, my life was worth it. But it's all about listening to a different voice, a different narrative, something that is truth. You know, I love to tell people that we need to stand in our own truth, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, just stand in your truth and be honest. And having someone else there welcoming that truth is so freeing. Isn't that right? I mean, yeah, I think Dallas Willard used to say something like, you know, in the end, reality is always your friend. You know, mm-hmm. and, and what I'm thinking is reality may not always be pleasant. You know, my real struggles or my real shortcomings or my real transgressions even, you know, but being honest about them is the only way I'm going to find my way to the grace I might need or That's the right. mercy that I might mm-hmm. need or the, the love that I might uh, be hungry for. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, know, you know, Alan, one thing, can I interject real quick? You know, I think about you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah. And we we got to acknowledge our own truth when it's bad and let that out. And that's what really sets us free. So that's absolutely right. Yeah. Just yesterday I was having my monthly conversation with someone I meet with in spiritual direction. And the reason I need that is it's a place for me to tell the truth about my story. Uh, It's not me standing in front of a group of people trying to encourage them or inspire them or, you know, coach them or anything. It's just me sharing my story. And then usually what's happening is I'm being reminded of reality Mm -hmm. that maybe I offer a word of confession. I came up short somewhere or I I didn't do, there's a line in the, uh, the confession liturgy of the Anglican church, which is sort of my neighborhood these days. Uh, We have left undone those things, which we ought to have done. And we have Mm -hmm. done those things, which we ought not to have done. It's like, yep. well, that's sort of part of my story. <laughs> and the fact that that's a part of the daily liturgy, you know, of morning prayer says, maybe I do that every single day. And am I able to live in the reality of that? And and can I come to be confident that my sense of worth and value isn't rooted in the roller coaster of how well or poorly I do in any given moment? Which kind of brings me now to another question I'd love to chat with you guys about. Um, So in an unread leader, I talked about the temptation to bring our thirsts for, you know, meaning or recognition or peace or whatever it is that I'm hungry and thirsty for. The temptation as a leader is to bring those thirsts to the people we lead or to the work that we do, rather than bringing those thirsts to God and finding that God would meet us there, quench those thirsts, fill those hungers, and then I could go to the people I serve or the work I do with some abundance rather than going there with this empty spot I'm hoping they will speak into or my achievements will fill. Can you say a little bit about any experiences you've had with 
that contrast of where do I bring my thirst, hungers and thirsts? Yeah, for, I mean, I'll just say for me, that's a, and I think for most leaders, if you're listening to this, that that's probably a daily struggle yeah. of definitely uh, making sure that our daily bread really is, is coming from heaven and not from the hands around us. And the possibility of overflow, you say this all the time, Alan, but you know, anything that's done in anxiety can be done better in peace. And I think you mm. stole that from Willard. I'm pretty sure I stole that. Yeah. <laughs> as borrowed, creatively borrowed. Creatively borrowed. But he, uh, that really speaks to me because yeah. I think about in my marriage or in my parenting, I've got, I've got four small kids, you know, mm. um, anytime I go lead a retreat or um, speak because or try to lead this new church planning endeavor out here in Arizona. It, it all piles up daily. And for me, it's, it's a daily battle to enter into that quiet time, call it whatever you want in the morning, but then almost like a, a moment by moment, can I really seek first the kingdom of God in this moment? Can I really relax into a God soaked reality here, a grace soaked reality or am I hungry right now? Am I thirsty right now? And like most of us Americans, um, cravings often get the better part of us. When we crave that, we just we go after it without even thinking about it. We're not even conscious sometimes that we're looking for that in other people until it goes sideways. We're like, well, why did that go sideways? And we're tempted to blame other people. But often if we look ourselves in the mirror, it's often because we were looking for something out of that. Yeah, that is so well said, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I, I would I would add to that that I think for me it's an hour by hour process. Yeah, you know, because uh, <laughs> I think you know I'm a little ADD, so hey, look at that shiny object. Let me go chase after it. And I think a lot of us are that way. And Alan, I, I keep going back to a handout that you gave us back in that course 30 years ago about hmm. pitcher cup, and we need to be filled up. And our ministry is the overflow, right? And we often forget, especially for guys like me, I come out of an addictive background, mm. that we think that we, we ask ourselves the question, is God enough? Is, 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 do I trust him enough? Is it going to fulfill that craving I have? And a lot of times we believe the lie. And so we keep running after that shiny object. And it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, I've been at this over 30 years and I still have to remind myself, okay, pitcher cup. I need to go back to the well. I need to trust that God is good. He loves me unconditionally. What he, what he brings to the table, his fruit is so much better than anything I could ever, ever choose or want. But we're so conditioned, especially men, we're conditioned to chase a shiny object, mm. right? Oh, and, yeah. and, and, and so it's, I mean, it's a daily battle, but God is so good. He is so good and can deliver us from that. But I think it's a, it's an hourly daily monthly battle that, totally. we, you know, we just, that pitcher cup, Lord, fill me up, fill me up. I need you. I need yeah. you. Well, and so maybe it would help me just to take a minute and say this metaphor, you know, this pitcher cup. I remember first being introduced to this from a mentor. His name was Chuck Miller. I yep. dedicated an unhurried leader to Chuck because I really felt like anything I learned about leadership, I really learned from mentors like Chuck and others. Uh, I feel very much like I'm standing on very large shoulders. Yes. Um, but pitcher cup, he would just always yep. remind us, don't forget, 
know, if the cup is your life, well, then the yep. pitcher is just God who is always pouring. Mm -hmm. See, that's such a different metaphor. Like, if mm -hmm. God is always pouring, if God is always generous, if God is always loving, if God is always gracious, then I have what I need in every moment. That mm -hmm. what I most desperately need at the center of my soul is not out there somewhere in an achievement I'm about to accomplish. It's not out there in a person I'm about to impress. I already have what I need. And the opportunity, I think, for us, and this is what I hear in your stories, is to learn how to be rooted there. Yes. Like to live from a place of confident uh, abundance. And then, yes. then I go into the world with all of the uncertainties. And I go mm -hmm. into my work with the things I don't, I'm maybe, maybe not as confident about as I'd like to feel. But yeah. I don't go there trying to prove something. I go there to try and give something. And that's mm -hmm. such a difference. Yeah, I'm not remember, trying to be, yeah, uh, oh, I was just going to say, I'm not trying to be prescriptive in this. But for me, taking space once a month, a full day of space, a retreat day of sorts, an unhurried day has really yeah. helped me to be rooted. And uh, a few months ago, I was at an Eastern Orthodox monastery. Oh, boy. And I was praying with some monks there, which was hard for me because it was mostly in Greek. <laughs> and I don't speak Greek. And so I mean, I took I, Greek in seminary, but that would yeah. not have helped me one bit. <laughs> so, you know, we're praying all night. And I asked my friend, uh, I said, hey, you know, what would you recommend for me who's new to this tradition? And I'm not Eastern Orthodox, but what would you recommend I do? And he said, Matt, just pray, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And if you feel yourself wandering, mm -hmm. just pray that. And so my question to him was, what's in your imagination when you pray that? What are you, what are you thinking of? And he said, I'm imagining that God is pouring his mercy out on me constantly. And by praying this prayer, I'm actually just putting myself in a position to be soaked in that mercy. He goes, don't think about it. He warned me exactly what you just said. Al. Don't think about it like you're chasing and begging God to get his mercy but instead, tonight, just focus on it's already there. It's, it's like a waterfall, an endless waterfall. Mm -hmm. And by praying this prayer, you're just entering into that mercy in a posture of receiving. Yeah. So That's good. So good. The, uh, there, I, I had a fantastic mentor named Bob Martin, and he was an old young life guy. And he used to, you know, when we first connected, he said, Daryl, the number one thing you can ever learn from me is learning to waste time with God. And I'm like, he's like, just waste time, just block out of time and just waste time. What do you like to do most? And I'm like, well, I like to surf a lot. I like to play golf. He's like, get out on your board and waste time with God. And I can't tell you how many times I love to paddle out and just sit and be filled up because it's not what I do. It's just, Lord, just love me with where I'm at. And I can't tell you sitting out past the breakwater and just allowing God's love to flow over me, that pitcher cup. But I love that phrase, wasting time with God. It's okay. Write it, write it in your calendar. God loves it when we choose to waste time with him. Yeah. So for me, that's I'll, I'll never forget that. That's a great phrase. And, and for me, it's sort of, it's a way of playing games with my profound productivity orientation that I have to use <laughs> the word waste to be able yep. to justify, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whereas right alongside that idea, because so I like that phrase, wasting time with God, I think right alongside that is, you got David's prayer in Psalm 27. He says, one thing, 
one thing I ask God, this is what I'm going to seek. And then he essentially talks about his version of sitting on a surfboard out mm -hmm. past the breakwater, right? I want to be in God's presence. Yeah. I want to see God's beauty. I want to enjoy uh, worshiping God where God is. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing where I think this is, I don't want to say mechanism, that's too, uh, that's too technical, but this is the way by which we grow in our rooted confidence that mm -hmm. we actually purposefully practice the presence of God, that mm -hmm. you don't have to be a monk from 400 years ago, you know, named Brother Lawrence, uh, to do something like this. You know, you could find a way to remember God with you mm -hmm. in every single sort of moment that you live. You, you could learn to practice this. And so like you, Matt, this, these practices, whether it's a day-by-day you know, unhurried moment, or it's more of a monthly unhurried day. These are the moments where instead of thinking that I'm loved by God because of all the great stuff I did, I have a day where I'm not doing anything, you know, quote unquote, I'm wasting the day. But the fact is, on that day, when God says, I love you, nothing in my head can say, well, of course you do, because look at how much the great stuff I've been doing, or how could you, I haven't done anything. Yeah. Uh, the point is, I'm in a posture of just receiving. Mm -hmm. Well, that is so good. Well, I wonder if, as you think about sort of the intersection of this, you know, we, we're back to the theme, which was insecurity in our hurried souls. How has, how has finding some confidence in God's, you know, prevenient grace, there's the theological word, the grace mm -hmm. that's there beforehand, before you do something, before you impress anybody, before you accomplish anything, grace was already there. What difference are you finding it having that you're growing in this confidence in God's grace and presence as you then engage in your work or you get involved in leadership uh, responsibilities and roles? For me, um, I think that I'm growing most uh, having been removed from a large church setting now into a church plant. Mm. I, I'm growing most in terms of contentment and rootedness in his pleasure for me, not in what I do, because honestly, a lot of what we're doing is pretty insignificant. And I really resonate with all the metaphors that Jesus says when he talks about the kingdom of God. He's like, it's like yeast, just little, just a little bit of yeast. It's like a seed, but not any, just not just any seed, a mustard seed, really little, you know, um, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And so being faithful in that, kind of going back to what Daryl said in terms of I'm ADD. I think we live in an ADD culture. Oh, I think our, our culture is just, if you live in the United States and you're listening to this or even overseas, I mean, because of technology, mm -hmm. we live in a distracted world and mm -hmm. we live in an increasingly shallow world in a soundbite world. And so the quiet time that I used to have in the mornings when I was in high school, pre-iPhone, that little one hour time doesn't sustain me through the day. Like mm -hmm. call it whatever you want, call it a daily office or call it daily rhythms mm -hmm. or practices. But there's, a, for me, I've had to institute some things like over lunch, praying the Lord's prayer very simply, or, or, you know, the St. Francis of Assisi prayer, uh, something over lunchtime that recenters me mm -hmm. in the evening, having a time of exam. And like I said, the practice of once a month, uh, getting away for a full day. I don't do those things because I'm super spiritual. I was actually talking with a friend of mine who's a homicide detective. Hmm. And he's like, well, I'm not like you. I'm not super spiritual. I can't, I can't do any of that stuff. 
I'm like, no, it's because I'm not super spiritual that I have to do these things. I, <laughs> I must do them. So join me. Are you desperate with me to get rooted and to get, you know, satisfied? Join me in these because I can't do it alone. So, yeah, well, that's a good point. So I think, um, you know, the, the distraction level, the amount of noise that there is mm -hmm. in our world, in our lives, you know, these devices that we carry everywhere we go and that have become our default too easily, like, oh, I've got an empty moment. I know I'll distract myself. <laughs> um, so what you're describing is sort of the ability to remember that throughout the day, the biggest reality is not the stuff scrolling on my phone or yeah, the yeah. worries running in my head. The, all of these things are real in the sense that they are, but what's most real is God's with me and the Lord is my yep. shepherd, and maybe I really will not find myself in a place of great want. Maybe that's most real. Yeah. 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 That's good. I know for me, Alan, uh, one of the, the rhythms that I've tried to implement into my life is I'm an early riser, um, and so I get up around 5 o'clock every morning, and one thing that has really helped me to stay centered it sounds crazy, and people know this about me, but I, I go, I feed the dog, get up at five, feed the dog, and I make a double espresso, and then I go sit in the hot tub for a half hour, and that is, it's quiet, it's dark. I look at the, I look at the stars, and that is my time just to sit and give thanks to God for another day that I'm alive, <laughs> and that He's got something good. And I have a crazy job where I disciple business leaders here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I often just say, Lord, what, do, what is my day going to look like? And I sit and I wait. And without a doubt, I feel God's presence. I feel like he's lifted me up. Sometimes I, I just cry out to God because the day isn't good and I, I couldn't sleep because I was worried about something. I'm not perfect at this. But it's a routine, even when I don't feel like it, or even if it's raining, I drag myself outside, and I jump in, and I'm like, here I am, God, the good, the bad, the ugly. But without a doubt, building that rhythm for me helps me to um, be what God wants me to be. Bob, off, Bob used to tell me, Daryl, you can't give away what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't have the peace of Christ, I can't give it away. And so that's that daily routine for me is a great way just to be filled up with God's peace. And there's yeah. nothing that's quiet, it's dark, and the coffee's pretty good too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when in doubt. But I think but I think anyone can do that. You don't have to have a hot tub. You don't have but finding that space where you can just be alone yeah. with God and enjoy his beauty. I'm an outdoors guy. I love the outdoors. So that's where God speaks to me. And so that quiet space is so critical. That's hot tub so doesn't hurt. No, hot tub is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you mentioned, uh, you know, like taking advantage of something like the Lord's Prayer at lunch or whatever. Any other practices sort of or just things that you've found helpful kind of along the way in this whole thing? Um, besides the things that I mentioned, and I kind of skipped over the examine piece, but the examine piece is really important for me at mm. nighttime, not to end yeah. the day with a a frenetic activity like watching Netflix uh, and then dozing off to that, but rather pausing, reflecting, God, where did I notice you today? 
where did I live into my true self who you've made me to be? Where did I kind of act out of my false self? And then having a graciousness about that, and that's okay. Just feeling his love for me in that. And then setting my intention the next day of practicing his presence all, all the next day. And then just kind of falling asleep with that intention is really important. Uh, but I, would, I don't think I would have ever gotten to that place or these other rhythms if I didn't do some sort of spiritual reading as a supplement. Hmm. So, um, I mean, we could all probably sit here for hours and just name the books in different seasons Boy, that's that, for have sure. sh- that have shaped us. But whether it's mm-hmm. a podcast, if you're not a reader like this, uh, and you're just dedicating yourself to listening to something like this weekly, or, or it's a book that you're soaking yourself in, but that practice for me uh, has been incredible. I was just re- reviewing uh, David Benner's book, The Gift of Being Yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh yep. yeah. This morning, you know, in, in preparation for identity, this talk. Totally. And, you know, he starts off the book with that Thomas Merton quote, which I'd love to read here. He just says, Thomas Merton says, there's only one problem on which all of my existence, my peace and my happiness depend. That's a pretty bold statement. <laughs> to discover myself in discovering God. And if I find him, I'm going to find myself. And if I find my true self, I find him. And I remember reading that and not even getting past the first page of the book mm-hmm. and pulling out my journal and writing out, what does that mean? I'm wrestling with that. I want to discover my true self, man. Yep. So yeah, that for me, that practice of just being intentional with my diet and my reading and my mm. whatever intake, that's been really helpful. So two things I heard. One, this ending your day, not by, you know, sort of going to sleep to some sort of media battering your your brain, but really letting yourself look back over a day and notice God's presence. Mm-hmm. How was God kind? How was God good? Where did I welcome him and uh, welcome and embrace God's goodness? Where did I yeah. have the tendency to sort of no thank you? You know, I sort of resisted. Uh, that happens at times. Yeah. But to do all of that in a spirit of graciousness. And then, boy, I really affirm um, we need good voices in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes podcasts can be really helpful voices. Sometimes reading, especially I find reading a book that's not from today, a book yes, that's yep. 50 years old or 100 years yep. old or even older, it just they're not stuck. They, they didn't have iPhones, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was reading some just the other day. I think it was an Elton Trueblood, uh, a few pages, and he was kind of the Dallas Willard of the middle of last century, really. And he was talking about hurry. And then he was listing all of the horrible distractions, you know, the telephone and the newspaper. It's like, oh, my friend, you have no idea how much harder it was going to get than it was for you. <laughs> so in the same way that there are more challenges, I think, in many ways today, we need to meet those challenges with more intentionality. Yep. That's not to create pressure. It's just mm-hmm. to say, caring for your soul couldn't be more important maybe than it's ever been because so much is doing harm to your soul in the world in which we you know find ourselves sort of any last thoughts you have as you think back on this conversation we've been having yeah well just one thing that you just touched on right there alan one thing that i have i have three kids i have junior high twin girls and you know there's a lot in their world that is just the pressure is Unreal. (laughs) And, you know, you talk about those voices. And one thing that we try to do around the dinner table that's just a practical rhythm again is like, what are we grateful for? Practicing the attitude of gratitude. 
And, and it's so simple, but man, it really changes the narrative because as soon as we ask, how was their day? It's like missiles going off. And it's like, wait a minute, stop. Let's focus on what is, what is true. What, what goodness did you see today? And so I think, you know, it's, it's, we're living in a tough time with the pandemic and political, social things going on. I think to stop and just start your day and end your day with, okay, Lord, you're here. You haven't changed. Where, where do I see your hand? What am I grateful for? Because they're there. His blessings are there. And that helps us, I think, to pull us out of the, the narrative of negativity and bitterness and anger and just like, right. But Lord, you are good. So what are you doing? Where do I see your, your thumbprint? And it's just an easy practical way that as a family, we really cherish. That's so so good. Yeah. Appreciate that. How about you, Matt? Any last thoughts here? Yeah. uh, The only thing I really wanted to say today is I really appreciate this, the flow of Matthew three and four and five. Where Jesus is baptized in Matthew 3, and the words of identity are spoken over him. This is my beloved child Mm -hmm. in whom I am well pleased. And when I feel really insecure, that's where I run to in scripture. And it's, and I I mentioned the flow because he goes straight from that, not led into the wilderness by the devil, but led by the spirit to then confirm that identity that. I just feel like the father is so gracious in using the spirit to draw Jesus into the wilderness to yep. confirm his ministry yep. before he preaches in Matthew five, six, and seven. And, and in the wilderness time, he wrestles with, you know, I'm not what I do and I'm not just what other people say about me. And I'm yep. not defined by what I have. I'm defined by the words of the father. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if I could leave anybody listening to this with just a, a comforting word is if you're feeling insecure, as a leader, or even as an apprentice of Jesus, run back to what is true of him is true of you in that path. You are the, you are his beloved child and he delights in you and you live in his unshakable kingdom today. Yeah. That's such a good word, Matt. Thank you. I was just going to close by saying, you know, in the spirit of your, you know, the practices you, you shared, you know, I don't have a hot tub back there, but (laughs) in my backyard, one of the things I've begun doing is being very intentional about making sure the the birds are okay. So I've got all these bird feeders in my backyard and where I'm seated right now, where we're having this chat, I'm looking at my backyard so I can see the, the little sock with Niger seed for the little goldfinches. And I can see the, the pre- compressed seed over there that the, the house finches love. And I can see up here, the feeder that I have some grape jelly on. And during our conversation, <laughs> a few times, bright, yellow male oriole has come and gotten a little snack and for me it just feels like i'm just i'm just doing what jesus said he said yeah look at the birds do they are they frantically planting and harvesting and storing and trying to make take good care of themselves because no one else will if your father can take good care of these birds that you watch who are here today and gone tomorrow don't you think maybe you could count on god to to well care for you in whatever you're facing in the micro realities of your life in the macro realities of the world you're living in. And for me, that has been often in the morning after I make my cup of coffee, I'll go in the backyard, cool the morning, sit in my favorite little chair and I'll just watch birds for a while, or I'll listen to them. The other day I'm watching and here came a Cooper's Hawk 
And I watched him hunt in my hibiscus tree for about a half an hour. I didn't catch anything. I was kind of glad about that, to be honest, because I didn't want to lose my Oriole or anything. <laughs> but it's just, I'm watching and said, you know, the one thing I don't think I'm witnessing is any anxiety here. Mm. None of these birds look frantically anxious about this new day that's dawned. Maybe I can go without that today, too. That might be okay. So good. <laughs> so, well, so guys. Good. I tell you what, it's been such a great uh, opportunity to visit. Thank you for uh, having this conversation with me. I'm grateful for you both. And uh, I'm, I'm loving to have this conversation about just our journey to grow in confidence in who God's made us and, and how God's taken care of us. Thanks for taking the time. Our pleasure, man. You bet. I really do hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. In the next few episodes, we'll be talking with authors like A.J. Sherrill, Ashley Hales, and Stephen Arterburn. We'll also have conversations with leaders like you on topics like busyness versus productivity and making space for God in our busy lives. I really can't wait to share those with you. Now, if you'd like to receive more help from Unhurried Living, I invite you to join our Unhurried Daily email list. For 40 days, we'll send you a brief daily email that will help you take a step in following Jesus' unhurried way. You can sign up on our website at unhurriedliving.com. We are honored to encourage thousands of leaders just like you with resources like this. In closing, I hope our time together today has helped you envision a next step in your own journey of following the genius of Jesus' unhurried way of life and leadership. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Unhurried Living Podcast. Join me next time to learn more about following the genius of Jesus' unhurried way of life and leadership.